Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to this. It is the Infrequent Flying Podcast pilot episodes. As always, I am joined by our three pilots. Of course, there is, um, who should we go with first? We'll go with Duncan who is busy spending his time de-risking the flight training experience for young pilots. Duncan, ha- uh, uh, how are you? Oh, thanks, mate. I'm uh, I'm not too bad. I, I'm trying to work out how, wh- where you're going with the de-risking line. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, of course, <laughs> there, is, there is God, the man charged with de-risking the country from, from foreign threats. Godders, how, how are we? Yeah, I kind of failed on the virus front, didn't I? Uh, well, I don't th- suppose that was exactly your department. Yeah, uh, I, it's unfortunate you can't use aircraft carriers against it, but you know, maybe we'll get into that later. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I mean, it was it was my fault. And lastly, there is the at-risk Parky. How are you, Parky? I'm good. Yeah, it's uh, he is. It's a slightly surreal world, but uh, no, it's all cool in Parky World. So you must. This must be your quiet April. Most sorry, your most quiet April for absolutely years. To me, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, obviously, we should have been kicking off. There's uh, loads of passengers that we're itching to fly, but everybody, you know, the world is just waiting, isn't it? And what can you do? So uh, it's weird, okay, but. Um, Parker, what are you doing? What are you doing with the uh, with the aeroplanes? Is someone engineering them? You know, sort of making sure that you know they're being turned over and stuff like that. Yeah. So the last I managed to uh, fly the two C to Elizabeth out of uh, North Weald because that's where she had the camshaft failure. So it had an engine change and then got her to Duxford uh, probably a couple of weeks before. So they then started most of the annual was done is kind of engine related and then they worked as far as i'm aware arco were working on the annual i'm not sure if they completed it you know before they were i guess they're not at work now you know everything's literally just on hold isn't it waiting to see but i imagine if we got the you know the green light we could uh you know we could fire up you got to check rides first and some bits and bobs but we could be probably ready to go in a week or so now i came to you first parky uh sorry last Obviously for a bit of a gag, but also because there is a fascinating story. You'll probably know where I'm going with this. Uh, but when you take passengers up, can you just tell us a little bit about the checks that you do to make sure that they are ready to fly? The checks, as in as for in the passengers? What... Yeah, so if I'm... <laughs> the checks, so... you say, where, <laughs> where we look them up and down and uh, take them make in. sure they've got their shoelaces tied and say, right, get in, shut up, watch this. Make sure that yeah, they're don't, don't, don't give do the game away the... yet. Don't give the game away yet. Just talk about your your passengers, Parco, and so, then we can maybe yeah. talk about the other story. Yeah. So when 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 you see the wealthy businessman or the once in a lifetime uh, gift, uh, that's uh, uh, sorry, the guy who's experiencing his once in a lifetime gift of flying in, yeah. in an aircraft. Like, what do you actually do? Do you have to make sure they're physically fit? Yeah. yeah well, I mean, they're briefed. Uh, you know, comprehensively, they they sign that little bit of paper to acknowledge the risks, and uh, yeah, and strapped in, and off we go. But I'm interested where we're going with this. The only one I can think of is the Rafale. That's exactly uh, where they, we're going. That's exactly where we we're going. There we go. Phew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've all. I bet Godders, Duncan, me, we've all flown in fast jets and passengers where you think, oh, he's a little bit. 
this is in way way beyond and we've got so much fuel and we can't land now and uh you know it's just having a nightmare back there but obviously none of us have flown with somebody that's punched themselves out and ejected so you know, no 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 but I, but I think the half of it i mean parker did you read the the um the french reporters on twitter i know there was a news report over here from the guardian or, or someone as well but the um <laughs> the litany of failures yeah. that they went through you know this poor old fellow was 64 years old i think um someone had nominated him for the trip he didn't want to go he didn't even want to fly did he no he, so he felt pressured into this when they put him in the back no one strapped him in they left him to it they didn't give him any emergency procedures yeah, they didn't even say that black and yellow handle whatever happens don't pull it unless i tell you um gets airborne do you, think that, do you, think uh, you know, feels a bit of negative G for the first time, <laughs> braces himself by pulling the black and yellow handle and ends up on a parachute. And then no. did you read that the only reason that the pilot wasn't ejected as well was because the back seat going had actually um, the uh, the heat of the ejection had fried the uh, the pipe that was supposed to, whether it's electrical or whether it was a um, uh, mechanical type thing. Um, but it had fried the uh, electronics that allowed it to uh, eject the front seat pilot. So the <laughs> command eject didn't work because the back had gone off and done something. He he must have been the bloke now flying it, thinking at any minute this seat could go off. Yeah, yeah that's exactly what he thought. I never thought of that. This landing. Because if I just touch down a little bit too hard, boom, <laughs> how I go. Well, yeah, no, but it's not that bit. Can you imagine... I mean, I guess they would have got someone to go and put pins in it quite gingerly, um, you know, for people listening. When when you arm an ejection seat, generally the last thing you do before you get out is you put safety pins in. So these things are normally mechanical interlocks, which means you cannot, the, the thing won't fire. Um, so you can jump around on it as much as you like. But uh, <laughs> someone must have been leaning over gingerly to put the pins in on that thing sat there on what he thought was a hair trigger, you know, oh. doing the sweat pouring down, you know, like someone cutting a black black wire or a red wire in a movie. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so glad that everyone is, well, from what I understand, everyone is safe because it makes the, because it makes the story actually funny. Um, do you think when he ejected that the pilot just gave like a Gallic shrug? Yeah, buff. Oh. <laughs> uh, so... Um, tell me about your flying flying experiences with uh, with passengers, because I, Im- I imagine you've got to do more checks than just say away you go, jump in the back. Yeah, yeah sure. it's, it's, you know, it's it's fairly extensive, isn't it, Dunk? You know, there's a, yeah. a whole load of limitations, and only you can only do certain bits. You know, there was I don't know if it's still allowed, but you couldn't go low level. That was deemed you know high risk. You couldn't pull loads of G unless you were the Dutch, and then. Did you do this, Goddess, when you flew passengers in the F-16? We always gave the bad, the boys a, a certificate that said 9G. Yeah. And I just took that as read that you had to, to get that, you needed to pull 9G, and it, it just seemed brutal. It Maybe was brutal. We, yeah. uh, whenever we'd, you know, if we went to do a red flag or flew over to Nellis or whichever base to go and do some support somewhere in the US, we'd always take our two-seater with us, and that two-seater... A lot of the, to the flight dock we're flying and the flight dock would be um, oddly assessing guys' airborne G straining maneuver. Um, but while being unconscious. Th- yeah, but some of the time you put an engineer in the back, and I remember taking this maintainer flying from uh, from Vegas, from Nellis, and uh, yeah, so we took off, flew over to the the China Lake area, which is uh, out to the west of Nellis. Um, also in the area where there's a load of traffic going into um, LAX. And it was the busiest I've ever heard it on air traffic. You, the, no one took a breath. You could not get a single word in. So clearly I gaffed them off um, and uh, got into the uh, uh, the restrict desk as soon as I could. Bit of a G warm up. Guy was fine. Uh, bit of higher G, bit of a loop. What's, it, what, he was what's, like, a, what's a G warm up? What is a G warm up? In, in an F-16... Oh, I, how, what's a G warm? Well, so we do the same in the typhoons as well. So before you you go and uh, dogfight or pull any high G maneuvers, it's it's like warming up before you get on a rugby field or before you go and do athletics or anything like that. So you're checking yeah, sure. that the kit with 
yeah, you're checking that the kit works and you're checking that your body's working as well. So generally so what, what it'll G, be a... What G, you, what G would you pull as a warm-up in the F-16? Um, so 4G turn, 4G turn to start with and then you'd snap back at 5 to 6G. Um, so you generally do a 4G... I think it was a 180. Can't even remember now. It was a, either a 180 or a 90 uh, at 4G. And then you'd turn back, you'd break back the other way, which would take it up 5, 6, sort of 7G. Um, and then everyone checks in and says, if you're in a formation, everyone checks in and says, yeah, I'm good. Um, just to, so that you, yeah, I'm, oh, um, you're all good. So I did a, a gentle G warm with this guy just so he could feel what G force is like. Because one of the things, JB, that, that I don't think passengers are ever ready for it, but pulling G in an aeroplane, whether it's doing a loop with parking in a Spitfire or mm. pulling a bit more G um, when you're warming up in a Typhoon or, a, or an F-16 or something, it's he's weird. Yes, but... What's that, oh, Hello, Parky. Are you watching videos whilst we're trying to record a pod? <laughs> Unbelievable, Park. No. Parkinson. Unbelievable. How yeah, professional so, so, is that? We'll leave that so, in just so, to to, uh, <laughs> to demonstrate to our listeners uh, that you weren't listening to me at all. So just um, but I was it is, listening. He so, was watching is, a film about poison ivy. Is she <laughs> the one with the big um, the big like? <laughs> so just give um, me an example. What kind of G would you get in a very fast car? Just so we can put it into some sort of comparison. Uh, it's different. It's different. That's lateral G as opposed to um, straight through the body, the vertical G. I guess the only the thing the only thing you could relate it to is if you've been on one of the big roller coasters at one of the the big theme parks, um, and even then they might pull two, two and a half, nothing, nothing very much. Um, when it's when they're doing some of the high speed loops, I don't think many of them do do more than that. Um, I think, I think though, to answer JB's question, like a Formula One car will do about 4G round a corner, lateral. but it's in the, is that the X or the Y axis? I don't know which one it is, but basically, if you accelerate really hard, JB, your coffee cup flies off and that's the, is that the X axis, I think? So that's acceleration that way. Yeah. If you turn hard to the right, half, a bit of your blood will go more to the left side of your head, I guess. But it doesn't affect you, and you don't lose consciousness. But you know, your coffee cup would fly out to the left. But in the Z axis, pulling G in an aircraft or pushing it, it because it's against gravity. You're, it either you know all the blood goes to your feet or goes to your head if you're pushing. And if it goes to your feet, you know that's when you're going to lose consciousness or you grey out first of all. So right. you know you you can pull G in a car without a doubt, but it's just not the same as an aircraft. Can you? I, I assume you can train for pulling G, can you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, we have to. Um, all of us have to go. Have all of us been through the, don't you, been through the centrifuge? Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So all of us go through the, you remember the, I can't remember which James Bond film it is, but he's spinning around and has to use Moonraker. his watch to shoot. That's there you go, Moonraker. To, that's to the shoot at the instruments. Barbara, isn't it? Yes. That's well, the same. Oddly, Barbara, in a, yeah, so they, they, yeah it wasn't a, a housing estate in Farnborough, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they've got uh, Talus have now built a uh, a new one at RAF Cranwell. I'm supposed to go there actually in three weeks' time, but I don't suppose I will be. But we'll we'll see how that goes. But <sighs> yeah, apparently the, the the new one's fantastic. It's um it's very swept up, and you can actually uh you, you it's got like a flight simulator in there, and so you're asked to fly and put inputs into the aeroplane whilst under G. So it's much more, as you'd expect, much more swept up than the 1950s uh, Moonraker one that was down at Farnborough. So when you... no, that wasn't even, it wasn't even as good as the Moonraker one. That one was built by H.G. Wells uh, <laughs> at some point in the last uh, a couple of centuries ago. The uh, the one down there. So, but the just one, to, fi- to finish the I was just going to well, say to finish the, 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 the story. Yes, yes, quite, just sorry. before we move on, is that in the one down at Farnborough, there's a viewing window. Um, and there's two things. First of all, the cupola on the on the end of the big arm was made out of um, uh, the scrap bits of an old Lancaster bomber. Um, and uh, at the viewing window above it, it goes from zero to fifty G, like in the G- in the James Bond film. It's brilliant. And you only uh-huh. go up to well, I guess up to uh, up to nine, I think, was what you would do. But uh, but even so, uh, it went up to fifty on the uh, on the marker above the window. Will, will your aircraft stop you from pulling a certain amount of G? Yes. Well, what will that be limited at? 
so no typhoon. yeah a typhoon will limit you at nine a rafale actually has a uh, as an override that it can take it to 11 if it needs be but um the but that's a mechanical pull through on the stick from what i understand so they can override um you know and the flight computers allow wow. you to uh, to get a little bit more out of it so, and the reason it's nine is because of the human limitation yeah um, i thought nine so, was limitation yeah and so but back to just, the fella that i would the, uh, that's the modern jets jb obviously you know the the jets of a previous era you know like the harriers f4s uh, in the f3 any anything you know it was just you're mechanically flying the thing so you would you could easily overstress any of those jets you have to be very careful and what happens if you overstress it it doesn't just fall to pieces or anything does it or do you no, overstress but yourself? It's, uh, you know there's you a can bend it life, yeah on every aircraft and you know back in the day boys of uh do you remember that story dunk about some test pilots in a spit and they were testing it at ridiculous speed and the whole front end sort and of then came off yeah that was in what? uh cypher that was in cypher merlin by um, there you go and then yeah. this this spitfire or, or one of them anyway he it pulled about 10g just because of the weight and a bit but it didn't he but only landed the thing or put it into a field but it was you know the rivets had popped structural damage had been done to it jb you know so I'm, I'm sure. Odd, I, I tell you what. Oddly, I was listening to that exact story today, this morning, in my government-sanctioned walk around Richmond Park with a dog, and uh, it's it because I'm listening to uh, Silver Spitfire by Tom Neal, and oh, yeah. he talk, and so he gets stuck because he takes off a P47, and he goes around and he decides to have a look at the high altitude handling because he understands that the P47 isn't too bad at high altitude handling. So uh, he's up in the 30,000 feet, um, tooling around over the South Coast, and he spots a finger four of fighters. And this is 1944, beginning in April 1944. Uh, 1944. And he said, and all of a sudden, I was 19 years old and back in the cockpit of my Spitfire Hurricane. Um, and those, it, it took me right back to the Battle of Britain. So he said, I couldn't help myself, stood it on its tail, uh, stood it on its nose, and went down to intercept them. And as he got faster and faster and faster in this jug, in the Thunderbolt, the controls started bucking, and he realized that he could not control this thing. And he said at a particular point, he um, the controls stopped working, and he thought, well, this is it. I'm at 20,000 feet. I'm going to smash into the ground. He said, I was oddly calm. And then all of a sudden thought, well, I can't bail out. Um I tell you what, the air's getting thicker. I bet she comes out on her own when she uh, when she reduces speed. So eventually, this thunderbolt comes out under her own. But then he drifts off into the story that, uh, well, not drifts off, but he when he was flying back from that, on his way past Boscombe Down, he stops in at Boscombe Down because he had to go and speak to his mates who were doing high speed trials, and they gave him an hour and a half lecture on high speed and the um, shock waves and all this sort of stuff that they thought was going on when these aircraft getting up, up to massively high speeds and then he goes into the, the exact story and I, I thought about it this morning i thought i must remember the name i'm gonna have to google it in a minute but this test pilot who goes in and exactly as you say that the um the propeller comes off of this thing he pulls 11g uh, the <laughs> aircraft pulls 11g in a spitfire blacks out it, he had instrumentation in it it's, it's uh, as Tom Neal said in his book, Rob, which I only think came out a couple of years ago, is 620 miles an hour. So the fastest anyone has ever been in a uh, in a prop aeroplane. Oh, my word. And uh, yeah, 11G. And he eventually, uh, he did stick it into Farnborough. But then he goes up again a week later. And yeah, how brave is that to say, yeah, I'll go and do the same trip again. And the, uh, the supercharger went on the next one. Uh, the didn't pull as much g but he ended up um above cloud with no engine and ended up putting it in a field and sustained a really bad back injury but again they got the stuff back and went yeah you know pretty much exactly the same thing has happened and you were back up there at around the 620 mile an hour you brave lad um, but that on that first one he blacked out because it had, it had popped to uh, 11g so the f-16 i mean i know they all do but the f-16 was the first aircraft to have the is it the recovery software? So if you do blackout, it just levels out and you fly fly away until you wake up. Uh, no, not when uh, not when we we were flying it. They're, they're introducing that sort of software in all sorts of airplanes now. We we actually had um, one of the guys on the wing was killed when uh, he, he 
it's a, a set called long range basic fighter maneuvers. So normally when you start basic fighter maneuvers, you'll have different ways of entering it. But if you're just doing a 1v1 training sortie, you'll be a mile, mile and a half apart. You'll turn out, turn in um, and uh, start fighting. This particular one, um, they're about three or four miles away from each other. You turn in and if you're the one offensive, so the one fighting, uh, you know, trying to uh, trying to win this particular match, you leave the throttle open you've got so much longer before you get there you can be going really fast and so when you turn and pull when you're going really fast the aircraft will you know continue pulling g for quite a long time until the speed bleeds below a certain point and this poor fellow pulled really hard blacked out immediately the uh the aircraft then went into a vertical dive a spiral he actually um it was a bit like tom neil's one i guess but became conscious uh on the way down pulled the handle ejected and the there was a little part of the the kit um that we used to hook onto the uh the harness which held your oxygen um regulator um that broke off because he was supersonic when he ejected um and hit him in the throat and so he landed on a chute in the water but then unfortunately drowned because he was completely um uh you know incapacitated by all of this stuff that happened um, and so there is a big thing about trying to protect people from G and having auto recovery systems and so on uh, for exactly that reason. Good God. Uh, anyway, what happened to, <laughs> what happened to your situation? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so the fella in the back, so we'd done the warm up. He was, uh, to be fair, he was looking a bit green. So I said, look, I said, you fly it for a bit, float around. He said, sir, I still want to, you know, American, I still want to do 9G. I, I want the badge. I went, okay, then, you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. So do what we needed to. Pull around the corner. There we go, straining away. And I tell him, that's it, 9G. He goes, awesome. You know, turn around, sort of hands up in the back. And then it started. Uh, It was about a, I guess it was about a 20-minute, 25-minute ride home. He couldn't find the microphone off button. And all he did was puke with extreme vigor um all the way back he just emptied his stomach legs everything um uh, on the uh, on the way home and it was horrific especially trying to speak to la center again hello la this is whatever i was viper two three in the back and uh, all of this over the uh, over the radio it was quite funny really until his mates had to kind of lift him out of the cockpit afterwards do, and, do you and get uh, him jet watch the thing down do you get him to clean it up? Because that's what I would do. Oh, not in the state. When people have have gone in the back of aeroplanes, they are in absolutely no state to do anything after it. Goodness. Good. So, what is he? Using? And, and the other thing, the other thing is, is if you have, a, if you get a, if you get a puker, then uh, <laughs> we got it, a puker. I mean, <laughs> not even if they get it in a bag, and you know, and I, and you know, as all three of us, I'm sure of a lot of passengers and you do get some pukers i've always you know there seems to be a a a theory that you're going to uh, try and make people puke as a pilot if they're you know when you take them on a pax ride particularly you know if you're taking one of the 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 junior ranks boys the other junior ranks boys yeah make him puke sir make him puke you know and and, uh, i've I've never tried to do that i've always made people enjoy the ride and actually uh, in enjoy aviation for what it is but uh you do get yeah so you you know that they're going to uh they're going to go there's a few signs and so you can see them either just looking at their feet or looking straight ahead in the back there they've stopped talking to you and uh so you can at least prepare them after their, their bag out but even if they do flip and heck it's awful it stinks it's an unpleasant thing um when someone's ill in an airplane it's not like you can open open a window not well, not really, not on most, not on most airplanes. The chipper you could. Yeah, I, I remember hearing um, Charlie Brown. He talks about it at times with our passengers. It's a very great way of describing it, and it's so true. He goes, "Now, if you get to feeling like you are getting debts, it's probably too late." <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's so right, isn't it? You get that. Why am I sweating so much? Like, oh no. <laughs> I'm gonna go, but I think, especially in the, uh, <clears throat> I don't know what it's like in the Spitfire ride. It's, it's it's probably a bit more gentle, you know. There's less kit around, but certainly in the fast jet rides, I think everyone, especially if you know, if they're a first timer, everyone underestimates the 
the assault on the senses that it's going to be that uh, because almost everyone that you you know whether you're helping them down a ladder unstrapping them for someone else whether they've gone flying with you if you see them the next day or the day after will tell you that they had to go back and have a sleep and then slept for 16 hours or, or something true, like that actually, that's they, they do do that don't they that people go and have a sleep i think um actually we because we've been you know flying airplanes um since we were um early 20s uh, and jets since we were early 20s the fact that it's quite an intimidating and claustrophobic experience as well we kind of forget that because it's the office isn't it you get in and it's your office and that's where you work but for people that um that haven't ever been in a jet before uh putting the mask on having it just having a mask an oxygen mask on your face and the helmet and the visor um and the claustrophobic nature of being strapped into the cockpit and you know the trepidation of well what is this going to be like to actually fly in a fast jet um is, is quite a big deal i guess and so there's an amount of uh of mental strain as well i, I would say oh huge amount have, Do hey, Doug, have i have i ever told my dan slow story on the podcast i know in, in the typhoon yeah you, it's really I, real quick. yeah you i have, think yeah you, you have I'd like it's to always it. worth hearing again, though. I'd like to hear it again. <laughs> Real quick, but as Dunk says, you know, it's exactly that. But it was a cold day, so it's sea temperature. We had to be in an immersion suit as well. So that's a little bit kind of uncomfortable. You've got sort of tight rubber seal around your neck and your wrist and stuff. Anyway, Dan Snow had to do a piece, and it was, I don't know what it was about. Anyway, two-seat typhoon, reheat takeoff, and we climbed up to sort of 50,000 feet. We did some stuff. And uh, it was brilliant top bloke but he was uh he was tragically pretty unwell and uh we landed got back in and he looked in bits he was sort of definitely he had the curry sweats and he was just in pieces but he'd done it and we we got the uh the recording equipment out and we were i remember just standing in the ops room we're looking at it going right let's just have a look see if it's you know how it's come out there was a camera on him in the back cockpit some audio and we're listening to it and there's only audio and we're just hearing it as you oh, can there's no, no. no no visual at all and uh, one of the engineers comes in and goes, did you switch the audio on? Because there's two switches. The two switches. Oh, dear. <laughs> and uh, it was like, we haven't got anything. And they'd done the sort of Blue Peter thing. So we thought we could just get some backseat footage. Because, no, you can't do any of that. We, we, you know, we, we've got to do the, the correct footage. And it was like, well, Dan, there's only one thing for it, mate. We've got to go again. And he was, you know, he was in bits when he strapped in. <laughs> We did another reheat, 50,000 foot, pulled some stuff. He puked again. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I, I just took my, I mean, what a professional. And you would never know, you know, the piece of camera, he was upbeat about it, you know. <laughs> you just thought he was having a blast flying typhoon. But, he, I mean, extraordinary, mate. He was, And I remember him getting in the car that he had to go and do a presentation in, uh, you know, he does, I think, history lectures or something or other that evening in London. <laughs> it was like, mate, how are you going to do that? I mean, he was broken as he as he hit the A1. Unbelievable. Well, we've got just a, another Dan Snow story. So he's uh, there's a bit of Dan Snow love coming go, going out tonight. But uh, he came and did the piece to camera, uh, and he presented the Dan Buster's seventieth. Do you remember that, Goddard? Yeah. And um, so he went into the mid upper turret of the Lancaster for the flight down the uh, down Derwent water. And um, he, because of the noise of the aeroplane and the type of microphone that he had, however it was set up, he could only shout into the microphone. And a similar thing happened. He couldn't get it to record. And he managed somehow. But when he got off the aeroplane, his voice had completely gone because he'd been shouting so into this microphone continually trying to get this audio piece above the noise of four Merlins in this Lancaster. And he got it in the end. Uh, and, and again, as you've said, Park, he did a brilliant job. But uh, he seems to have a fairly rough old time in aeroplanes, old Dan. Because <laughs> he's nine it. foot six as well. Yeah, he is, yeah. Uh, do you see an attitude adjustment from the time that people step in to the time that they come out? And, and, and also, when, when you're inviting the, these guys... The mess- are they trying to um, I don't know be a little bit too 
too cocky, particularly in the spit? It's, it takes all sorts, I think. Um, I mean, generally, most guys are just dead excited. You know, whoever they are, they can't wait. But if I have an observation, you, you really can clock the passengers and the ones that are generally, yeah, you know, I'm up for everything, I am more wary of. I would say the ladies are generally far more nervous about pulling G and maybe doing a loop in the Spitfire. But from experience, they are absolutely G monsters. You know, they're like, that was brilliant. Do another kind of thing. So, you know, I've done a loop with, you know, an 85-year-old lady and just, you know, she loved it. And, you know, young lads have gone, oh, that'll do. That's enough. You know? Yeah, that'll be me. It just makes all sorts, really. And it is, you know, it sometimes is difficult to gauge, but I've generally been surprised how, you know, almost the more reticent ones tend to sometimes be the best at it did i tell you the story about um the because when i uh, i i graduated from chivano with my wings uh i then had to go and wait um for my next stage of training um and i went and waited up uh, at a place called turnhouse which was the raf part of edinburgh airport it was fantastic so uh, and i flew chipmunks as an air experience pilot um, and what we did is we took air cadets. So air cadets would fly <clears throat> in the back seat. And uh, th- this one day, a camp had come up to uh, to Edinburgh and uh, we were flying all the cadets in the back of the chipmunk. Uh, and I was sat there and this young lad strapped in. Um, and uh, he was a real sort of, uh, he got in. And I, normally you say, hello, can you hear me? But he got in and clearly he was straight on. He went, all right. And I went, hello, you all right? And he went, yep. And I said, um, right, um, what is it that you want to do today? And as you know, as we taxied out and took off, he said, uh, I've got, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. And I said, well, okay, well, we'll just fly around to start with and then uh, and then we'll see how you are. And he was absolutely fine. I'd got him to fly the aeroplane a bit. I said, do you want to, um, do you want to do some aerobatics? And he said, what, what are they? And I said, well, you know, have you heard of a, a, a loop the loop? He said, oh, I, I've heard of one. I said, well, do you, do you want to do one? He said, do they hurt? I went, no, no, they don't hurt. You, you'll be fine. He said, oh, all right, then I'll, I'll do one of those. So, okay. So um, I put the nose down to get the, uh, the speed up on the, on the chippy. And as I pulled up into the loop, and I'm committed now, you know, as, a, as the nose goes up through 90 degrees, I just hear, <laughs> in the back. And so I'm trying to say over this noise, mate, are you all right? Are you all right? I can't do anything else. I have to complete the loop. And he goes, all the way round till I've completed it. And eventually runs out of breath. "Ah, ah." (laughs) (laughs) I said, are you all right, mate? He goes, all right. That was brilliant. Can we do another one? (laughs) (laughs) We did. We just continued to loop until he was (sighs) to go back home again. Yeah, I I made a noise similar to that in a um, oh, what was the car in an aerial atom? I, I I can't even imagine. I can't even begin to think the noises that I'd make in um in a fast jet. Did if, you see? Uh, have you watched the film? I know we're we're digressing a bit, but have you seen um, uh, Ford versus Ferrari? Yes, the Le Mans brilliant. 66. Love it. And, Not uh, seen yet. Ah, uh, well, mate, there's a bit. I think it's on the trailer, so it's not. A oh, is that is that when the exec is in the car with him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, ends yeah. up crying. He's crying. Is that is brilliant. <laughs> but um, Parky, do you remember on the Reds we went down to uh, to Dunsfold and did and with Top Gear? No, that you did that in '05, I think. I'd left. Ah, uh, okay. So um, we went down and uh, we drove with the Stig. Um, and he was really apologetic. Never took that helmet off ever, so you never knew who it was. So you didn't know oh, really? who it was. No, and no one would tell you. No one tried to find out. Couldn't find out. Anyway, they he had a Renault Five GT Turbo, um, and so he took us round the track in it. And honestly, I have when I watch that um, Ford versus Ferrari scene, and you and you see uh, Carol Shelby. The, 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 you know, it's uh, Carol Shelby taking this guy around the track. I can understand it because what the Stig was doing with that car was 
phenomenal. It was fantastic to be in it. And when we got out, he said, "Our oh, boys, I'm just sorry we haven't got a proper supercar. I mean, this is this is fast, but you know." And so when you see that, and you're and you see someone, you know, professionally drive a car like that, the performance that it is. It is really impressive, and I can understand why you do that in the uh, in the Atom JB. Oh, it's horrific! It's horrific. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and so and so that's exactly the same thing as as most passengers. You know, it's funny, Parky, as you were saying that. There's a lot of people who are reticent. Um, even the cockiest ground crew, when they'd be seeing you off or whatever, when it came round to their, you know, if they managed to get to fly in a two seater. You could tell they hadn't slept all night. Uh, you know, all the bravado had gone. There was no banter with their mates and everything like that. And so, JB, you talk about that sort of the change. If they've survived it and haven't puked, or, that's or when rejected. they. That's when they come back again. You know, that's when the personality's back. Because Doug's right. You know, but we've sort of grown up with it. You've gone through from Cessnas to chipmunks to. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You know, little jets, bigger jets, all of that sort of stuff. It's what you know. Do, do you know with um, the students, and, you, and it's easy to forget. Uh, with the students, do they ever go into a fast jet before they've done all, all the chippy stuff? Do, they, do you put them in there to find out, are they worth taking up to that point? Or do you gradually build them up until they get into a, a hawk? Gradually build them up, but... Uh, I think the opportunities are now less and less, but uh, I remember that when I went through as soon as I could possibly, I actually went down to Broadie to get my first Hawk trip. Uh, And I can't remember. I think I'd just done chipmunk training at that point, but I was so desperate to fly jets that I rung people up and said, look, can I come down and have a, a trip in a Hawk? So, it is possible for, for people to go and do that. And guys that are on holdover, so there's still a wait between um, the, the certain phases of training. And guys that are on holdover at Valley on 4 Squadron uh, or 25 Squadron um, flying the Hawks there, that they, they manage to get some backseat trips, um, oh. which, which is really worthwhile for them to, uh, you know, as we've said, it, it acclimatises them to it, uh, to it to a degree. So it's not quite such a surprise when they get in into one for the first time um but on the on the on the flip side jb i remember it might have been with dunk doing an air test but in the chippy and i was just sort of in the back seat it could have been you dunk maybe maybe smithy anyway i'm fairly sure the air test in the chippy was an eight spin left and then an eight spin right and all various and bobs i was in the back just sort of taking notes and writing and stuff but it's where you kind of you kept spinning around and, oh, oh. <laughs> it was <laughs> yes yeah, so poor, poor 64 year old fella who gets thrown in the back of a rafale with no briefing no way of strapping himself in uh and terrified and felt pressured into doing it even though he didn't want to well, he didn't say he didn't completely want to. different kettle of fish my, my favorite part of that whole story 
is what he said to the inquiry, which is, I'd never shown any previous inclination to go up in a fast jet. <laughs> Bizarre. I'll tell you what um, What else I wanted to uh, get people's opinions on, which, which was, and God, as maybe you'll uh, you'll put it up on uh, on Twitter, because I haven't been on Twitter for a little while, but if you... Uh, the uh, the video that you sent the other day of the Mustang landing. Oh, yeah, um, I saw that. Which... which uh, which ended up uh, pretty poorly for the for the poor bloke, uh, but I thought it was a really interesting video. And, uh, and God, as you commented, I wondered. I wonder if he's done that before. So you know, just continuing on the theme of uh, of doing things for the first time, um, the 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 video that I'm talking about, um, which hopefully God will post, uh, is is saying doing a landing, um, and it initially. Touches that looks all right to start with. Initially touches down, but bounces and rears right up in the air, and it looks like it installs or he pushes the stick too far forward, and it and it hits the ground, and the tail rears up, and then one wheel goes off the side of the runway, and he ends up ground looping, and uh, it doesn't quite go over on it; it goes up on its nose, and then uh, and stops, and the guy's all right. But um, God has posted it and uh, and then rightly said i wonder if he's done that before um and i and i thought flipping it you, you know imagine that you're f- the first time you're coming into uh to land a warbird and um it's on that tiny strip yeah yeah it did look <laughs> small strip, didn't it narrow really yeah. narrow strip yeah um, well, so, so, so that takes me back to the uh, have you guys read silver spitfire yeah yeah yeah, it's brilliant. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm loving audiobooks at the moment because on my um, approved exercise. Um, but um, it's just, what I find amazing is the, the engineer that comes up to Tom Neal, who is based with the Americans, and says, hey, <clears throat> sir, because Tom Neal's a squadron leader, this uh, engineer's a flight lieutenant, we heard you around. You think you could come and test fly some of our stuff? This engineer was part of an outfit that used to put together, uh, put back together uh, everything that had a prang or uh, or whatever, um, and they wanted him to go and test fly these things. And there's a great story about him going flying in the Lysander for the first time. He didn't want to, but he goes, mm-hmm. "All right, then, I'll go flying in this thing." It, it, long story about how he actually gets airborne in the first place and not getting the engine to work. But then he flies it around the place and goes to land it wherever he's taking it. And then it almost ends up in a hedge on the far side of the runway and has to chuck the landing away because this thing just keeps floating and floating and floating. And he's going, where are the flaps? He hears a chuck and looks around, sees the flaps have come out on their own. And there's some sort of weird magic in the wing that are, that are allowing the flaps and slats. And all I could think of was your two little faces in the uh, in the Faisler stalk. I know we've told that story before. <laughs> Um, because that had, you know, auto flaps and slats. And the, and the story I listened to this morning, um, well, there was two. One I listened to the other day was he goes and test flies a uh, Spitfire Mark 8, which apparently was a belter and much better than the 9. It had um, the longer high-altitude wings on. Mm. And apparently Jeffrey Quill said it was an amazing aeroplane. Um, he goes and test flies this, come back, and he's brought with him the American guys. Who he's, uh, I think, um, you know, we've all met Tom Neal, and he was a tall fellow. I, mean, I reckon Tom Neal must have been sort of six three, six four in his in his yeah. prime. And he said this guy, six foot five or bigger, and was a wannabe and a and an actual pilot as well. And so he goes to this fellow. He goes, I do work with the guys. Do you want to jump in and just you know take her out for uh, for half an hour? And he goes, me, yeah. So this American guy gets in it disappears off at low level tom goes right i'll go and have a kip anyway now later wakes up still not back hour and 20 minutes he's still not back and eventually the spitfire limps over the edge of the uh over the uh, runway and does a landing very much like that guy in the mustang although keeps it straight you know bounces down the runway up and down you know taxis back and, and gets out and he gives him a bollocking and says what what the hell happened you know where have you been he said, well, I got lost in a ridiculous country. It all looks the same. Um, and, uh, and and he said, well, what about, you know, could have run out of fuel. He said, I assume there was tons of fuel. I didn't even look at the fuel gauge. He was like, what? Well, haven't you flown a Spitfire before? He went, no. Nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? 
And he said at that point, Tom Neal's knees almost buckled. He said, so I just threw you into a Spitfire and you didn't tell me that you've never even won before. He went, no, I've only ever flown the little things, you know, sort of small, um, you know, set of aeroplanes. And he just sent him off in a spit on his first Warbird sortie. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's in at the deep end somewhat. And then, yeah, and today I had to look it up, but today's uh, chapter was about um, flying an Albemarle, which was a big twin-engine bombery type thing. Look, look, quite meaty actually. Um, and uh, him realizing that all was was not right when various different heads kept coming up and talking to him, and he realized there was nine other people on the aeroplane he didn't like, <laughs> including hey, an Alsatian. Parky, what did you think to that? To, did you see that Mustang landing? Yeah. Do you know who it was? No, I don't. I, mean, I thought he nailed it. It was, you know, just... I thought he was just touched. I looked at Kane. It maybe just sort of hiked the stick back as he was touching down. And then it it did look like it. a big stick back moment, didn't it? Yeah. Cause it, it didn't it was a particularly heavy landing either. You know, the initial touchdown uh-huh. was all right. And yeah, it, it, it just sort of... Then he obviously smacked the stick too far forward. It stalled. And it looked to me like it was just going off the left, and then maybe he tried to steer it or break, and then it snapped to the right, didn't it? And just, yeah. you know, uh, I felt for the mate, you know, it must just be a bad, bad moment. Yeah, exactly. Well, there was I'm... someone sent around another video um, just recently. I'm trying to see who it was. Parky, you'll know. He's at the uh, that Warbird Symposium. I'm sure he was, but my brain is not allowing me to remember what his flipping name is. Um, and um, but when he landed engine off at Duxford, do you remember? It was his first trip in a P fifty one. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I, Mark um... Levy. No. Yeah. No. 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 Was it? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And uh, his first trip, and I hadn't realised it was his first trip in there. First trip in, in a P-51. I've got the video. I'll post it on uh, on our Twitter feed as well. And uh, But it's it's a half an hour interview with him about it. And it's really interesting to watch about his thought process as he was going around. But it wasn't just a, a straight failed engine. It was intermittent. So he'd come back and he'd gain a little height. And then it would fail again, and you, so it was a really difficult, uh, difficult one to deal with. And he did well actually not to try because often the uh, the instinct is to try and uh, get the aeroplane back to the runway. Um, but often you can get yourself into you know all sorts of trouble trying to do that, stretching the glide and then stalling early and, and not making the runway. Whereas he made the decision in this case, no, I'm not going to make it. And he landed in a hayfield um, sh- short of the uh, the Duxford westerly runway. And he landed um, wheels up. Wheels yeah. up. But interestingly, yeah, I remember, I remember what he flying. talks about, he talks about the fact that he had put the wheels down. And he said, because he was, he'd got all the way round to finals, it, the engine failed as he was braking at the far end of the, of the airfield. And he managed to nurse it round to finals. And he was on finals, but he hadn't put the gear down. And he knew he wasn't going to put the gear down. But he said, air traffic said to them, you haven't got any wheels. You haven't got any wheels. And he said, in that moment, yeah, in that moment, he thought, oh, yeah, I haven't got any wheels. And because he was concentrating on so many other things, he peeled out when he didn't want to. So he then, when he thought, I'm not going to make it, he could see the the horizon moving up in the canopy. And he thought, I'm not going to make it to the runway. He managed to put the wheels back up and i don't know what hydraulic system the mustang has but it had enough in it such that um it put the wheels back up in time before he hit the hayfield so he put his wheels down he put them back up again before landing i wonder if he would have made it if if the wheels had stayed up Uh, i flew back back to duxford um after that show we're down at headcourt and uh, you know so the dust had settled and we, we heard there'd been a bit of an incident, but, you know, just, just doing a right hand circuit and flying. And it was just so weird just looking and you could see it. I mean, the, the distance, you could see where it had sort of shaved a little bit of the, uh, of the crop of the field and came to a stop was probably 50 yards. You know, it was yeah. ridiculously short where it initially touched and came to stop, but it was just over a sort of ditch. It was, it was, it was pretty close. Just the other side of the, the sort of the motorway. Uh, yeah, there's some really down. good footage because the the footage in the video um, is his cockpit footage, so yeah. you, you can't hear him talking, uh, but it's just the footage 
and it's both got one on it's you must have a camera uh, fixed in the cockpit uh looking at the instruments but he's got one on the canopy as well so when you're watching the video you can see the canopy open as he opens yeah. the lid um which again is a good thing to do so uh anyway it, it's an interesting video i'll i'll put it on the uh i'll put it on the twitter uh, sphere right well I'm going to have to bring this um, the, the, this whole debacle to a close, but not before we uh, we do some questions. Goddard, have you got the questions? Yes, I have got some questions, but whilst I look up the questions, I, I do have to shout out to... Um, have any of you ever watched Greg's Aeroplanes on YouTube? We've ended, up, we've ended up... It's worth a watch, actually. We've ended up doing a, a, a work book club type equivalent um and um we did one on the focker wolf 190 it's very geeky you know Ooh. about design um uh of why the 190 was designed about um kurt tank about how it's a lot more electrical rather than mechanical because he was a, an electrical engineer the how simple the cockpit is I've how uh, how it could take a lot of battle damage, all of this sort of stuff. Very, very, very geeky. So I know everyone on here would like it. Yes, I, um, I would. But it was really good, really good to have a, uh, a discussion about it. Uh, right. Have you come across a YouTube channel called Mustard? Negative. It's pretty lightweight compared to this sort of thing. But it's a fascinating... It, it just goes through weird aircraft, like... Um, uh, like, well, not that weird, but like the uh, the comets. What's the huge one that 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 we flew after the war, which we had to uh, dismantle? Well, like the superfortress type. Um, and it aircraft. was it, it was a, pass, a, a passenger aircraft. Yeah. It was a huge yeah. aircraft, absolutely enormous. Um, there's just loads and loads of weird aircraft on there. And it's all really nicely animated, so I I definitely recommend that. Yeah, I, I, hey, I, just I while we do shouts before we do a question, I'll I do a shout out to all of the uh, all of the fifty seven squadron um, and uh, the other squadrons who are, are flying the prefect at the moment or not flying mm-hmm. the prefect at the moment, uh, who are in lockdown. So they're they're stuck in their their rooms in the mess. They're not allowed uh, to come out apart from exercise and eating. So just one single room, uh, and hopefully their their spirits are uh, are staying high, but. Uh, Hopefully we'll be back and uh, flying soon, and uh, and they can get away from the misery. So uh, hope everyone's good uh, from the fifty-seven gang. Well said. Nice, good work. Right, there's a couple of really good questions here. So um, uh, first one, uh, big wing photo, Alan H. Uh, <laughs> have you got any interesting aviation-related ornaments slash off parts in your man cave? <laughs> interesting. That's a yeah. good question. I think JB can probably get one as well. I'm trying to think if I've got an actual part. Now I've got lots of models, but I don't have an actual part, I don't think. Oh. Have you got a favourite model, JB? Yeah, my Vulcan. Love the Vulcan. I've got, a, I've got a bizarrely, and this won't surprise Parker in any way, I've got a <laughs> uh, a part of a Merlin engine. Uh, I'll, uh, Parker, can you guess what it is? A valve. No, it's not valve. I was about to say valve, a rocker. You'll kick, you'll kick yourself when you hear it. it's an automatic boost control. Oh, AVC. An AVC, yeah. So uh, the, um, the the Merlin has an automatic boost control, which... Uh, oh, please aircraft, don't start this. <laughs> just briefly. Uh, as the aircraft <laughs> climbs, it, uh, it should compensate for the de- different density in the air and therefore change the uh, change the mixture and and therefore the engine runs fine but uh and, and i had to air test the uh the, the when i was uh, in chubby and um some of them they just didn't work and they didn't work how they were supposed to uh and uh anyway i spent flipping hours and days and weeks researching it and looking into it and uh and trying to uh, to work out why things were doing the things they were doing and in the end uh myself and the engineers got to the bottom we gave up it was a tortuous (laughs) tortuous process so when i left they uh they very kindly presented me with an automatic boost control yeah Uh, yeah yeah i've got a few f4 bits i've got a, a phantom temperature gauge on one of the engines and uh I want to kind of. I've got uh, one of the lamps that was sort of uh, a cockpit light, and I'd love to get it wired up somehow. And you can twist it and make it turn red. That would be awesome in the man cave. But yeah, I've got a few little bits. 
Yeah, that'd be good. I've got a. Uh, I was clearing out the garage the other day actually, and um, found I've got an F sixteen throttle that uh, that I, no, I need to get mounted on a uh, on a little bit of wood or somewhere in a uh, in a man cave. Yeah, um, that's cool. I, I wanted to try. I was desperate before I left to try and get both, but they could only rustle up a, a throttle because the stick tops were in such high demand. But um, you know, even the throttle, and I picked it up. This was just last week. You picked it up. My hand sit. Uh, uh, Parker will remember this. Your hand sits so perfectly on this yeah. thing. You know, yeah. it's like uh, it's not made out of wood, but it's like you know, smooth like mahogany, and your fingers and everything just fit in exactly the right place. And and I was right there. I was there, mate. You know, I had yeah. the, the air brake switch, the dogfight switch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, radar override. control. Yeah, yeah. The dogfight override, the, the radar yeah. controls, everything. It was flipping brilliant. Um, cool. So uh, yeah, a definite good bit of kit. That's good. I like that question. Lockdown movie night. This is from Elsa G. What? Watch, which I think is a great question. Mm. Uh, well, I mentioned it earlier, which I I really enjoyed uh, Ford versus Ferrari. The Le Mans 66 one. I, I thought it was epic. We uh, I watched with... Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's getting old now. He's, I watched with George Pop Fiction. It was his time to watch that movie. And it is brilliant. And just the quotes, we're learning them now. That is a movie you can watch time after time. It gets yeah. better. Yeah, it's brilliant. We, uh, we watched uh, Shawshank Redemption the other night. Yeah. Was utterly brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah My yeah. 17-year-old daughter, which I didn't think it would hurt, she loved it. It's Absolutely cool. loved it. It is a brilliant movie, that. I actually went through our DVD collection yesterday. Of course and... you did, Duncan. And, yeah, <laughs> and there was... So it was cool. one of those from uh, Bangkok, though? <laughs> <laughs> no, none of them were from Bangkok, Parky. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could tell that story. No, that'll, that'll, be, story. that'll be for one of our X-rated pods. Yeah, we can't <laughs> tell that story. Oh dear. Uh, anyway, what I was going to say was there's so many. Pulp Fiction was in there, but so many classic movies uh, that I need to sit down and watch. Oh. Well, well, in fact, JB, I was looking the other day, you know, listening to your other podcasts, and Tim Cocker was saying that um, that five-star section in Sky Movies is pretty good. And it is. Uh, you know, I had a look through it yesterday. There's some classic old movies in there. Uh, I, what I've been looking at uh, of late uh, is those F1 documentaries on Netflix. Which are phenomenal. Oh, I started watching the first one the other day, actually. Oh, it's so good, isn't it? Yeah, I you know I love a bit of that you know really good HD filming, good interviews and stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah, it was good. I'm going to watch all of them. Um, good skills, right? Uh, does does well. One two, uh, and I had a conversation with someone about just the other day. Following purchase of 48 ex Royal Australian Air Force F-18s by a private citizen in America. Oh yeah. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. What what would your own private Air Force consist of? Now, did you see this? Is they great? I'm going to. But I'm going to do a lot of tweeting tonight. Mm. Um, it's one I read on the drive.com, uh, which was a, uh, so this guy, I think it's USA air. And so they already do a load of contractor red air flying in the U S and he has just bought all of the classic Hornets from the. Did Royal you read Australia the whole article? Yeah, I, I yes. did. It was phenomenal. It was wow. brilliant. Isn't it? I, yeah, I, it, it's amazing. They're not just Hornets. Um, I mean, they're very well maintained. Got a lot yeah, of... They come with your Hemex, the helmet-mounted control uh, queuing system. Uh, they've got lightning pods with them as well. Um, uh, they're completely different to the Navy Marine Hornets because they never never landed aboard a ship before, so the fatigue life is good. Um, he's got a bunch of spare engines with them as well. Uh, just amazing, and that's what you want as your contractor red air, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and he's, he's got Hawks as well. He turned down uh, Mirage um, and I think uh, MiG-29. Oh, no, he's got four MiG-29s, but he turned down a bunch of other stuff that other companies are using because he wanted – I think he was waiting out for this Australian one. And, uh, you know, it, it, as long as you can afford it, he's hit pay dirt with this. Um, they'll be used all over the place. That's brilliant. So what would you, so what would you have in your, in your, in your little forces? Wow, Depends what your question. private air force did, didn't it? Or whether yeah, you wanted yeah. something that was fun to fly 
or whether you were doing it for a reason. Well, the idea, the idea behind it is, as I understand it, so they can put near near peer air power into into. Apparently, the the radar capability on the things is uh, is really impressive too. Necessarily get if you're flying an older Mirage. Yeah, correct. You know, and a lot of the Skyhawks they got uh, that are doing red air out there, other companies don't even have radars in. Um, you know, so they're reliant on their ground controllers, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, it's a whole different level getting a fourth gen aircraft like a Hornet up to do that sort of stuff. Are, are, you, are, you, um, allowed to, are you allowed to talk about the capabilities of uh, these sort of radar things, or is that is that maybe for another time? Uh, I mean, you can talk about it. Yeah, there's lots of unclassified stuff you can talk about, but let's let's save that one for another time. Yeah, let's do that. Um, yeah, so what, what would you have in your Air Forces? I'll tell you what, I, I'm sat with a virtual background here on Zoom of uh, of uh, Typhoons, and uh, I'd have to have Typhoons just because they're a flipping amazing aircraft to fly. I, you know, you do all sorts of stuff with them, um, and so much power, speed, height, everything. I, say I think the thing is, it, it would be on a bit of a you know, small budget compared to what the Air runs on. You'd want something that would be just simple and easy and would always work and never broke. And I reckon, I mean, a Hawk, I know the performance isn't there, but one aircraft that just jumping in it, starting it, flying it, always serves yeah. you. Take it around he's the world. He's yeah, got he's got Hawks. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I would, if you expand a Hawk and put nine hard points on it and reheat in a glass cockpit, you morph it into an F 16. And I know that's on about it but i never jumped out of an f-16 in terms of serviceability it was always and and they were old jets that i was flying they and it just worked they were unbelievably serviceable and and easy to maintain you know the engineering setup in holiday sort of you know they'd work a bit but they would everybody went home at five o'clock came home you know in the morning get them out and we had 10 jets again it was bizarre it did but it's but the funny thing is parky is it surprises me that given the how that the proliferation of F-16s around the world, that these the companies that are operating these um, adversary um, squadrons effectively yeah. are, are not. They don't seem to be using them. No, and I, I was thinking the funny stuff is got a thing called hydrazine, which is you know it's a nasty thing that can give you cancer, and it, it fires up a. You know, your engine, the hydrazine fires, and it fires a sort of generator and a little hydraulic pump. So you've got electrics and hydraulics and fire controls. And it, it got as you, is it eight minutes? Something like that. It, it let you, you know, you could glide the thing for a while. Oh, that, that was the, um, on the test, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, it was something like yeah, 10 it, minutes, 10 minutes um, at light usage and six minutes at heavy usage, wasn't it? Like you know, yeah, depending on how hard you were wanging the stick around. You know, I think maybe that was is one of the reasons, Dunk. It's just a it's a dodgy substance in the aircraft, you know, just to manage and use. It can't be only right. that because when you think about it, Dunk, you know, the the American aggressor squadrons still use. So yeah, uh, you know, yeah. and there's over five thousand of them in the world. So it's an interesting point, isn't it? That maybe may come after because they're so useful in people. You know, people aren't getting rid of them. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. I mean, well, the, I mean, the, the Dutch the, must have got the, rid of them. Norwegian. The company he was running, though, his um, his business plan was diversity, wasn't it? That you could go from anything from a, a twin-engined um, piston Cessna to do um, to the F-18s that he's he's going to acquire. But he had F-5s, Hawks, all sorts of different. Um, he had uh, the um, what are the uh, because he didn't use the the MiG twenty nines, did he? Not not no. for fighting, because they they were just so dated. Effective, yeah, uh, he said he just used the two seaters, didn't they? Albatross. He had albatrosses, didn't he? Quite a few of those with electronic warfare stuff on. Um, anyway, so to of course it's a real cliche and absolutely predictable. But um, just given that if you were, if you had to service not only fighter versus fighter, but JTAC training, close air support, we've got to stick. You say that. Harriers for close air support are utterly brilliant. He's never flown an F-16, mate. Well, <laughs> if you're going to own a, a bunch of aircraft just on, on aesthetics alone, I would have an aircraft that we've already mentioned so far, which is the Rafale. As much as you want the Typhoon, the Rafale is by far a better looking aircraft. So I would go for that. But 
I have actually thought something else. Isn't buying all this hardware a little bit dated, considering that you can just put someone in a simulator and they can show up on the F-35 helmet now? Oh, flipping it. Right, that one for another pod. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, uh, Let's definitely whole... talk about that in another pod. But remember, we spent half of this talking about the physiological aspect. That is true. Yeah. yeah. But you're not trying Damn to train... Straight. But you're not trying to train a dresser pilot, are you? You're trying to train F-35 pilots in the air with a shadow of someone flying a simulator. Now, I think we've done this before, boys. I think we've done this before. We have, we have, we have. have. And they spend a lot of time in the sim. God is on Poor buggers. I I spend a lot of time in front of a computer these days, (laughs) Parco. Um, Doug Walker. uh, Lancashire Doug. Now, we don't need to answer it because we spent an entire pod on it, but did you see the story about the retirement present of the Rafale flight, which ended up abruptly? Quite a goal. Yep. Have you ever had a nasty mishap when taking a civilian up for a flight? Touchwood, no. Yeah, other than, other than people one, puking. I, yeah, apart from the odd puker, I can't think of any. No. Yeah, and, and, kind of cover that as well, haven't we? Yeah, Parky does that for a living. Mm. Oh, it's an interesting one. Maybe this is one for a, a, a pod in Toto or, you know, just a discussion about F-35 or stealth and, and the radar side of things that uh, JB mentioned. But this is from uh, Jim Pierce. Brother P, uh, F-35s, should the UK invest in the A model? Yes. Yes. Why? I think it should in the end. Let, let's keep that for a, for another pod, shall we? Because I think it's quite an interesting... It more is. fuel, more weapons. Next. Bigger <laughs> <laughs> range. Uh, excellent. Well, look, we're going to leave it there because we're going to run out of time on Zoom again. So, boys, thank you so much for for uh, dialing in this evening. We'll, we'll do this again. I don't know whenever we can, and uh, you know, as lockdown is still a thing, there's a good chance that we'll do one even sooner than normal. Oh yeah, come on, let's. We can answer some of let's those. So. I am definitely going to retweet those things that we talked about. Excellent. Right. I've uh, I've, I've tweeted the uh, I've tweeted the P fifty one. Uh, one that we spoke about and that's on there fantastic right so from me parky dunk and godders <laughs> we will see you soon all right ciao Did it. bye ciao bellas planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.